0: the Thames Valley, one more time,
1: across the Thames Valley, this,
0: this is River Radio.
1: Well, now for some pop music, try this. You're listening to The Football Show on River Radio. This is Extra Time.
0: Hello and welcome to yet another episode. I'm Will Taylor, joined by Ben Green, and this is Extra Time. This week we talk Reading's last gasp loss and their game tonight, while also turning our attention to Maidenhead United's win over high-flying Chesterfield. We'll also look at Wickham's voyage to the top of the league and the chaos surrounding Goodison Park at the moment. All that and much more to come on this week's Extra Time. Good evening, good evening, good evening. That's right, it's seven o'clock on a Wednesday night. Naturally, it's time for River Radio's football show. And naturally, it's time for me, Will Taylor, here on Extra Time For You. I'm joined by the wonderful Ben Green. And we've, sorry, we have just come off having a little bit of a laugh, haven't we? Because I didn't realise I'd said the word voyage in, in that venue. And it's, it's a great word.
2: Well, it's not only that, Will. You've said last, gas, lost. Yeah, how many it. times did it take you to, to say that properly. Do you know what? You'd, you'd be surprised, mate.
0: That's the first take. And that's what professionals no. I don't, well, I don't believe you. Well, you, I guess we'll never know will we suppose. <laughs> <laughs> ben, very warm welcome. Obviously, great to have you back in this year. It's just the two of us today, mm. isn't it? We're not joined by Ed, unfortunately. Very big shame. He's obviously a, a very valued member of our team. He has got some other commitments. Um, it's his birthday,
2: isn't <laughs> it? So, so it's I don't see that as a valid excuse, Will, to be honest. Well, yeah, I mean, you broke
0: your leg 20 minutes before the show. And yeah, you're sad. I still. I'm in mean, yeah. a lot of pain Yeah, yeah you've not been to the hospital yeah. yet, have you? <laughs> no. <laughs> Ain't time. Yeah, well, there we go. Ed, so um, no, a very happy birthday in all seriousness to Ed Talton um, and I'm sure we'll see you back again next week or the week after, whenever whenever you've stopped eating cake I suppose, that's, that's your call Ed, that's your call mate, but no, a very happy birthday to you and you are sorely missed on this show, Ben obviously we'll get into it in a second, another win for Wickham top of the league a voyage as I said it's going alright is it mate
2: oh, every week you ask me and every week I'll have to play it down but it's getting <laughs> harder and harder to say to you no we're just going to get the playoffs I'm getting a little bit excited I have to say well like you said we'll talk about it further on in the, in the show but the game on Saturday, there was a special atmosphere there. The first time I felt that in, in a long time, I'd say.
0: It's almost like what you were robbed of when you did go up, wasn't it? Because you couldn't be there, and the fact that you your team got promoted to the championship at Wembley against Oxford, fuddly enough. Same, sco- no, was it the same school then? No, 2-1. 2 in the playoffs, 2-1, yeah. 2-1 in the playoffs. But, but regardless, the fact that you, you couldn't be there at Wembley to see a team get promoted in what probably is the biggest game, or was certainly the biggest, it might be eclipses this, this season, there's a good to fair yeah. chance, but what certainly was the biggest game in your history, that's got a sting, hasn't it? I mean, you, you, it was in the middle of COVID, there were restrictions everywhere, it was a bit of a nightmare, wasn't yeah, it?
2: Yeah, it, it was bittersweet. Like you said, I've seen Wickham play at Wembley once and we lost on penalties, which was the most heartbreaking. It yeah, was like the
0: Joe Piggott goal for it, it right? Yeah, oh,
2: could, that, that hurt me and I didn't even know. 27 any... seconds left. <sighs> Of extra time, you couldn't write it, could you? No, but, but we know we know a little bit about playoff final loss on this show, anyway, don't nah. we? <laughs> well, I, I, you know the fact that you got on the TV and I saw your very upset looking face kind of made it better for me. But no, like you said, it was it was a great great day for Wickham, a great day for the fans, but bittersweet because we weren't there. Mm. Um, we had a great sort of group of us; it was about twenty of us. I, mean, I don't know if that was technically allowed, but we weren't not going to celebrate with everyone of that we course, know. Yeah, no, I um, understand but that. But there just wasn't the same feeling. I don't know what you mean playing Oxford yesterday it was almost like. Part two of that, mm. and we almost beat them uh, in in similar fashion, really, in, in proper Wickham fashion. Um, soaked up a lot of pressure and, and made the chances count.
0: Well, like you said, that you know may, maybe it wasn't allowed, but but you admit it. Um, good, yeah. Good evening, Prime Minister. Yeah. Evening, Prime Minister. Yeah.
2: Yeah. We had cheese and wine there yeah. as well. Yeah.
0: <laughs> it was a work meeting, so <laughs> yeah. it was fine. Um, I was I was just thinking last night. Actually, I was watching that um, that Chelsea. well I saw the highlights of that Chelsea Brighton game. Obviously, I was I was, in, I was, I was at the Maidenhead game yesterday. Um, Graham Potter, another great result for Brighton. And they're sort of, there's a few teams normally, isn't there, over the course of a few years that become sort of Premier League stalwarts. They're not going to go down. They're probably not going to challenge that sort of top six, but they're a solid Premier League club. Brighton have gone from being always in that relegation battle under, like, your Chris Hutons, for example, to looking like a really solid Premier League side under Graham Potter, haven't they?
2: Yeah, I mean, it's funny you mentioned the Maidenhead thing. I I got a very cold-looking photo from you last night. (laughs) They ran out of coffee as well. well, uh, uh, Bovril as well? Yeah, yeah, Bovril there. Oh, shocker. But no, like you said, Brighton, I I, I have to be honest, I, I thought maybe a season or so ago I wonder where they were going you know when Chris Hewton left and you, mm. you did worry and, and even this season you thought you know, are they going to have enough have they invested have they brought in the players that they need but they've really kicked on and they've drawn a lot of games which they've, you know, they've made themselves hard to beat against a big big size you saw that against uh, Chelsea in the away game as well Danny mm. Welbeck so I've been really impressed obviously they've got a very promising looking manager I have to mm. say Graham Potter he's, he's incredibly uh, impressive from the outside you do have to wonder that how far can he take the team after this season? Well,
0: they, was it, what, I can't remember exactly what game it was? They got booed off, didn't they? Yeah, he, well, some, he yeah. wasn't happy with it. Really, he he really, really wasn't. He called out Brighton fans yeah. really about that. I mean, I, I was just thinking about this purely, purely theoretically. Obviously, the. United have not been anywhere what they expected under Ralph Ragnick so far. I mean, that Villa game sort of encapsulated it all, didn't it? It was all very oh, excited, tuna up just to throw it away, especially at the hands of a former Liverpool player, as they did. Yeah. Do you think Graham Potter is a sort of... I mean, i was sort of thing, right? He's pretty much a perfect fit for that job, isn't he?
2: Yeah, it's been weird with Ragnarick, hasn't it? Because they haven't had any sort of new manager bounce. You, you see when Stephen Giles come into Villa, the whole mood of the place has changed. You look at Manchester United, nothing's changed. Mm. And, and you actually do wonder, as the season goes on, is it going to get toxic again? Mm. Like you said, Graham Potter, he could be the perfect fit. It looks like Ragnarok's not going to stay on, mm. given the start he's had. Mm. Uh, and you have to save, save finish, what we say say, Brighton finished, what we're saying, 10th to 13th? Yeah, anything above that. I think he's yeah. done a tremendous job. And he, he would be as deserving as anyone else in the, in the you know, top two divisions in England to get that job,
0: why not? I mean, nothing else seems to have worked. <laughs> no, exactly. The last they might as well years. in fairness Well, we could talk about the Manchester, the future Manchester United manager all night, or, or in fact, Wickham's exploits previously in the playoffs. We'll get to their recent form shortly, but it's time to zone in and focus on the performance of one of our other local clubs. We're beginning the show with Maidenhead United, who've enjoyed a nice run of form in the last couple of weeks or so. As I mentioned, Ben I was there last night, it was, a, it was a, a very, very sort of it was a it was a cagey game, really. And Maidenhead surprised me just how well they played against the best team in the league essentially of what they've, from what they've proven so far you know? James Rose done an, an incredible job they've got some really really strong players like you know, Tish Manga up front it's just a goal machine <laughs> it was mm-hmm. like every time you check a Chesterfield game he scored it's sort of one of those things I mean how big a win is that just for Maidenhead though in terms of they, they had a really rocky start they had a really bad, bad bit of form before Christmas how, how big a result is that for them?
2: It's huge, you know, like you said, Chesterfield, uh, they they scored against European champions not too long ago (laughs) at Stamford Bridge, (laughs) so no, picking up wins like that can be crucial, especially when you have been struggling or you go through periods where you're struggling to get those those three points. If you can beat a team you're not necessarily supposed to beat, that can keep you going for the next three, four games, that could give you the confidence, you know, in yourself, in, in the team that, right, we've beaten the best team in the league we've now got say 17th, 18th of course we can beat them so I think it's huge um, like you said there's, on an individual basis you've got like Josh Kelly got the two goals last mm. night got a brace um, you know what have you made of his performances this season because I, I know you have said him said manager's name a couple of times off there about mm. being one you've been particularly impressed with
0: Honestly Josh Kelly if I was if I was any any league two even, even maybe the bottom end the league one manager I'd be walking up to Alan Devonshire with a blank check and going <laughs> look just put whatever number you want on it we'll have him um, he's a local boy he's, he's come through their youth ranks and he, he yesterday he was absolutely incredible the first goal is just so well taken he was str- he's he's not the biggest player but he's so strong mm. if that makes sense you know I mean the only thing he did wrong yesterday he wore short sleeves and gloves which I really wasn't impressed with yeah not Inst- ideal instant record yeah exactly <laughs> so I'd, I'd have killed for his gloves as well and he didn't even need them um, but yeah it was, it was it was a really interesting one how how he played I mean the first goal he's taken so he's turned on the edge of the box and just fired one past, past Scott Loach who probably could have done a little bit more in fairness but it's, it's a really good strike he's won the free kick that Dan Sparks has put in for the second goal and it's just a typical poachers finish for the last one where it's a flack, flick on from De Havilland and he's, he's nodded in at the back post he, he was good value for a hat trick. Uh, uh, he's one of those where it wasn't Danilo Worsley was one of them, and we speak about him a lot. Who who went on to bigger things, and he's he come back to the league now, which has shocked me a little bit. But Josh Kelly, I'm convinced, will be playing in the football league at some point in the future. I f- unfortunately don't think that'll be with Maidenhead, but uh, you know he is he is mustard. He he is there. If they, if they lose him, they could be in big trouble because he was the
2: difference last night. Well, you said about them being in big trouble. The main question is do they have what it takes to beat the drop? They've just beaten the best team in the league. Can they, can they continue doing See, that? See,
0: this is the thing. I stuck my neck out on the line when they beat Wrexham, which was exactly the same bizarrely. They went 2-0 <laughs> up against Wrexham early doors. Wrexham's got a goal back just before half-time. you think thinking, here we go. Score just after half-time. You think it's Wrexham's for the taking. And it was certainly the same last night, but 10 from time, up they pop again. It was Josh Kelly again, not against, against Wrexham. And after that game, I thought, you know, th- there's no way that this team can go down. And then they went on a h- horrible run. I do think they. I do think they just have a little bit too much for the drop, though. I, th- I think they're they're just that level above. And you've got players like Josh Kelly. I mean, they had Remy Clarima who plays in centre midfield for him. He's about six foot two, stocky, and he, he a proper like sort of um, non-league Patrick Vieira sort of figure. Do you know what I mean? He's he's a bit of a governor in the midfield. Mm. And I saw him walking out, and I thought he, he looks a bit slow. He looks a bit sluggish. How how well can he do in a game like this? And he just completely bossed the midfield. He was he was in between every pass he was you know the balls he was playing was incredible and, and they've, they've made a few changes they've they signed a new keeper from peter gulai i think it's pronounced to he was brilliant last You're night easy for me to again. say <laughs> yeah <I know>, and yeah. <laughs> um, he, he was superb and it's, it's just one of those things where i think the changes they've made have been good enough they need to work on defensive things for sure but i, th- I think it boils down to the fact oh, there are there three teams in the league worse than them and yes there are you've got dover kingslin and weldstone even older shot probably who, who are Quite comfortably, worse than them. Um, I, I think they'll be okay. It's a, it's a rebuild, and, and Alan Devonshire it's, it sums up just how good a manager he is because he's had, he's had to rebuild a squad mid-season. He, he quickly realised that it wasn't good enough what they were doing, and, and he's rebuilt it. And he, he seems to have done it based off last night very, very well.
2: well. I have to say, if Alan Devonshire has half the amount of belief that you seem to have, <laughs> I think they'll be just fine. But you know, like you said, they've they've got another tough game coming up though. Halifax, talk to me. What, what do you? How do I you mean, think Halifax.
0: That's go? If they I just. Blasted Chesterfield is the best in the division Halifax are a very close <laughs> second and I genuinely mean that the job Pete World's done I've spoken about it before is absolutely phenomenal um, it, you know when he took over them I think it was about two and a half years ago they were really really constantly flirting with relegation and they've gone from that to looking super Billy Waters they signed from Torquay who mm. he can hit a barn door for us and he's, I think he's on 12-13 goals already this season so he knows how to get the best out of players he certainly seems to, to work, with, work with his resources very well I'd be very shocked to not see them in and around that play off mix come the end of the season certainly they would hope and I would hope for them they're in that sort of semi-final bracket I don't think they're sixth or seventh they should be between second and fifth really um, but it's, it's not an easy game and obviously it's a repeat of the FA Cup tie which I think was 7-3 or something like That's that may have been more, I have yeah, a feeling yeah. it was
2: actually more, maybe 4 or yeah, 5, it, it was
0: ridiculous 7-4 it might have been, I can't remember exactly but I mean, Bay Ned will certainly be hoping they don't ship that many and I mean if they can score 4, great but you, you can't see that many um, but it's, it's a tough it's a tough tough place to go at, at the very best of times if you'll the footballing cliche it's, it's not an easy place to go but, um, but you know, I, I don't see why, why they can't beat them after after that result. It's the, the problem for Maidenhead all season has been getting a good result and then. Going on with it if you know mm. what i mean they've, they've not they've not really grabbed the ball by the horns and and carried on with some good form to, to rocket them up the table if they beat Halifax, I mean that for me is safety all but confirmed you know if you can get two results against them, you can get results against one the fan the togetherness of all the players they all went over to the fans at the end and it was a, re, a really nice sort of spirit and atmosphere um last night, Chesterfield fans getting sort of uh, you know joke they' being jovial towards the end saying you'll be back again next year, which I thought was was very good for the Maidenhead fans but uh but yeah it, it's it's one of those situations isn't it where it's, it's, it's a hard one to call after beating the, the informed team in the league but it's always hard to emulate a, a brilliant brilliant, unexpected result isn't it
2: yeah that's, that's the problem like you said it's the consistency if they can string four or five wins that could do them for the rest of the season, mm. but the problem is, can they do that? String it together, yeah. Yeah, exactly. I, 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 we've, I'm certain we've had this conversation about Mainehead two or three times mm. this year, where they've, they've got a good result, and, and we've said, right, next week <laughs> they just got to do the same thing, and they're going to get beat, or they, you know, they they draw the game that they should win, and, and that's the problem at this at that level. Sometimes you can struggle for consistency, especially a team at the bottom of the league where it feels like you're you're really up against it. If they can beat Halifax in the weekend, I mean, they could go on a run and find themselves comfortably beating the job if they lose badly we go back to square one Yeah, and that's the problem that's the issue isn't it I mean they'll certainly be
0: hoping anyway that they can pick up a good result and the mood in the main camp is undoubtedly at a high but the same can't be said unfortunately for another but another Berkshire club in Reading another loss against Middlesbrough last weekend they were 1-0 up I think until the 85th minute um, in devastating fashion um, helped Borough come from behind to claim all three points against Reading rules now turn their attention to, to um, Luton at home tonight but it's been nearly four months since Panovic's men won at home we'll be back to talk about them next across the thames valley one
3: more time
0: across
1: the thames valley this
0: this is river radio
1: well now for some pop music try this
3: on river radio this is extra time That's
0: right, you're listening to Extra Time here on River Radio. And as I just mentioned, we're about to turn our attention to Reading, who play Luton tonight in the EFL Championship. Um, As well as the on-field issues that seem to be surrounding them, there's a few more issues as well. The club have stripped Liam Moore of his captaincy in a damning statement reportedly ordered by club... uh, Reportedly ordered directly, I should say, by club owner Dai Yungi. Uh, Our Reading FC correspondent Jacob Hawley caught up with Adam Jones from the Tarnhurst then, though, to hear his thoughts on another whirlwind week
4: at Reading. I think it's uh, I think it's a shared responsibility type thing. I think you have to look at Velko Panovic in a way. I do feel slightly sorry for him because he's been dealt a really rough hand kind of in terms of injuries and, and transfer embargoes and that sort of thing. Uh, but then you look at his style of play sometimes and we're, we're sitting back a little bit too much for my liking. You know, the, the days under Koppel and, and McDermott, we used to be on the front foot straight from the off and I think you know, in some games it's been very different with Paunovic and that's probably one of the reasons why a lot of people kind of want him to go is because they don't really like that kind of sitting back, especially when it's had so many consequences in terms of, you know, Derby County where they came back and and Kidderminster as well. So, um, you know, it's showing that, you know, he has limitations there in terms of sitting back too much and it's costing us points and that's, um, you know, one of the reasons why he's rightly being, you know, held accountable. Um, The players as well, I mean... We do seem to be very mentally brittle, and it doesn't seem to be a just a Pandevich problem. It seems to be a problem from well over the years uh, with the players. So they've also got to take their fair share of responsibility too, especially the senior players as well that you know haven't really stepped up in recent games. I think John Swift's been very quiet. I think Danny Drinkwater hasn't been up to standard in the you know past couple of games. I don't want to single players out, but you're you're looking for your senior pros to step up in terms of that. But I do think as well that the the problems are systemic. I mean, you look at the likes of Ethan Bristow starting at left-back and and Dejan Tetek starting at right-back. I don't think that would have been a possibility. Okay, injuries are playing a little bit of a part. But if we'd had, you know, not the transfer embargo and if we hadn't had transfer restrictions, then for me, we would have been able to, um, you know, field a a stronger team against Kidderminster um, and and it still being kind of a a second-string side, really. So the problems, I think, are systemic as well. Um, so I think everyone really has to kind of take responsibility um, and, you know, work their way forward, you know, from the highest up and, you know, from die right down to the players. I think that everyone needs to take a, a little bit of a, the kind of responsibility for the situation that we find ourselves in right now.
3: Yeah, I agree. Uh, you mentioned there about uh, taking accountability and um, Panovic has something that he's he's not been great at in recent weeks. And I think that's obviously annoyed the fans. He said after the Middlesbrough defeat that we, we will bounce back against the Hatters, against Luton uh, tonight. How do, you see, how do you see that one unfolding?
4: I mean, it's such a difficult game to um, predict. I mean, I, for some or no reason, I have quite a good feeling about tonight. And I have no idea why, because you know, going on a winless run like that and, and already having an absolute nightmare start to, to 2022, I guess in a sense, is can it get any worse, really? Um, so I think I'm, I'm, I'm reasonably optimistic about tonight. Do I think we could get all three points? I mean, I'm not 100% sure. You know, Luton Town obviously had a, a really good win at the, at the weekend against um, AFC Bournemouth and a last-minute winner as well. Whether that'll take, you know, um, whether it'll take them out kind of mentally, uh, that kind of last-minute winner, uh, I'm not 100% sure because uh, it can have a negative effect going through those type of emotions. But for us, We've just got to be on it tonight, uh, right from kickoff, because you know, they have some very decent players, like likes of um, Elijah Adebayo, who's gonna cause major problems really for, for our defence. Um, hopefully Michael Morrison is back, but you know, that'll be one hell of a baptism of fire if he's to come up against Adebayo. Um, but yeah, it's it's gonna be a really tricky one to predict, really. I've gone with a, a one-one draw really in my Preview this morning, but it really could be anything tonight. Um, I think, uh, in a way, it's kind of in Reading's hands. If they if they turn up, then they can get a point or three out of it. But you know, can't underestimate Luton as well. You know, they may have only come up a, a few seasons ago, but they they're looking like a, a very steady ship at the moment under Nathan Jones. And it seems to be, you know, the Hatters and, and, and Jones. They seem to be a, a match made in heaven, really. So um, it's going to be a really tricky kind of tie tonight, but. You know, I mean, some of it also depends on the players that are going to come back. But Parnovic has got to you know, work with what he has. Um, so I'm going to go with a, a 1-1 in this one. But I think it's going to be a, a tight game, unlike the last home game against Fulham. And I'm hoping not for a repeat in that one.
3: <laughs> Me too. Um, it's no secret that Liam Moore was relieved of club captaincy a couple of days ago. Uh, I think it's fair to say that the statement released by the club was quite strongly worded. Um, so what did you make of the way that that was handled?
4: Um, first of all and and this is the one thing that I can come in the club with is the fact that they told us that um, Liam Moore has handed in a transfer request I think as fans we've asked for transparency in in recent months and we've got it through the through the the, the transfer request I think we deserve to know about that however the wording uh, in in some sense I thought for me was a a little bit problematic a little bit troubling for me because there seemed to be information buried within that statement it seemed to be you know, they said that and then commend them for this as well, that that they'd been speaking over the past few months about Liam Moore's transfer request. Now, I have absolutely no idea why Mr. Dye has kind of ordered that, um, you know, that statement to go out, you know, last weekend at that time, considering it's been going on for the, for the past few months. I mean, there's stuff behind the scenes that could have happened and I can't really say too much on that. Um, but it does seem troubling that it, it was released months after they first knew about the transfer request. And it almost seems like a bit of a, a PR tactic in a way. Um, but obviously, things may have happened behind the scenes, and, and I've got to give them kind of the the benefit of the doubt in kind of in terms of that one. Um, there, obviously, there was two really hidden messages in there. The first one is the fact that they've they're backing Belko Panovic, um, which is probably a statement they didn't want to put out kind of on its own. I think that would have received a lot of backlash, so they kind of cushioned it in a way with the Liam Moore transfer request, and kind of made that the the main hook of the story and also that it seemed a little bit like a propaganda really uh, regarding die and, and kind of praising the owner and that sort of thing. I've always been grateful that he's um, continued to invest in the club and, you know, it's clear that he is willing to invest, but still, I mean, I think it was, a, it was, it was very, um, it, it praised him quite a lot. And I think, you know, considering the problems we have at the moment, I don't think it was the, the right time for that. So for me, um, I was a little bit troubled by those, you know, those messages being hidden in there, um, and and the tone of the statement as well. I found was a, a little bit unprofessional. I have to be quite honest with you. I'm, I don't like moaning about my own club, but it's um, yeah, the statement was was troubling in parts to me. But the the one main thing, uh, maybe not the main thing, but one thing that I can kind of commend the club with is is the fact that they told us that uh, he'd handed in a transfer request for me. That's something that us fans need to know. Definitely, yeah,
3: and uh, and finally. With a, you, you touched on it just there, but a number of players' contracts due to expire at the end of the season. Is there anyone that you'd be looking to sort of cash in on this January, or, or are we going to gamble and hope that they sign on, or perhaps keep us up and then leave?
4: It's. it's I know that, that our two sides have really contrasting situations. You know, with, with Derby County, um, you know, I can compare the the two clubs in the fact that there's loads of players out of contract in the summer, but we need to retain the, the, the core of our squad because we don't have really enough squad depth as it is to kind of cope with, with the injuries that we do have. And that's been best represented really by, you know, not just recent weeks, but recent months. So, you know, you'd you look to keep the, the core of the squad together. Um, but, yeah, it, it, is, it is a tough one because, I mean, are we going to be able to spend a lot of money from next season? Obviously, we've got the agreed business plan with the EFL, which means we can't spend too much. So there's kind of that kind of provides us with a reason to to, to retain some of our key players. Obviously it's gonna be really painful when when a few of them move on in the summer. And I think that's gonna be inevitable. I think Josh Laurent won't be here. Andy Eardom I think would have moved on and, and obviously John Swift as well amid great Premier League interests. So for me, um I would say keep the keep the core of the squad. I usually Say you know, cash in at the right time, but you know, I think we're in a, in a situation here where going down will be even more costly. So we've got to think about it financially, and not just in terms of short term, you know, revenue, but also in the long term. So for me, I'd, I'd keep the the core of the squad together. Um, I think George Kruis. Perhaps we should look to cash in on. Obviously, he's not out of contract. I think until twenty twenty three, but still, he's he's one player that I I would look to kind of sell because it's clear that he he doesn't really work well with a with a one up top. Um and I think that's what Panovic is going with for the foreseeable future. Obviously there could be a, a managerial change next season or whatever, but it's just not really worked out for push gas and, and still, you know, with the, the contract situation as well, he's likely to be in a on a reasonably high wage and he's, you know, still reasonably valuable perhaps with, with eighteen months left on his current deal. So he's one player that I'd be looking to cash in on. But in terms of players whose contracts run out in twenty twenty two, I'd I'd be reluctant really to to let many people go.
0: There we go, that's Adam Jones there from the Tilehurst end talking about just how deep Reading's problems lie. And I, it makes for grim reading, doesn't it, Ben? I mean, even just, just looking at it and just seeing it as it is, is, is terrible. They play at eight o'clock again tonight. If you're a Reddit fan, you're really struggling to get yourself up and
2: going for that, aren't you? Yeah, I mean, we, we spoke in the very day about how that could well be the two, the two single worst losing run in the history of football. <laughs> losing to a National League North side in the FA Cup. And then losing 7-0 at home. I mean, it's desperate times. Even the middles result after to be yeah, 1-0 up until 85 to 85 minutes and lose it. It's desperate. You know, and I feel sorry for the fans because you get the sense with, with Derby, for example, there's a real belief whether what happens off the pitch will ultimately justify <laughs> what happens. But with Reading, it just seems like you know, they're shot. It's, it's, it's
0: weird, isn't it? Because if you'd have said out of the two teams that had point deductions, Reading's yeah. only nine compared to, to Derby's 21, which would be worse off at this point exactly. of the season? You'd have said Derby, but yeah. I'd rather be a Derby fan than a Reading fan. 100%. And I, I think that's, that's sort of where the problems lie. Anyway, best of luck to Reading tonight. We certainly hope they can, uh, they can prove us wrong and prove everyone wrong you know, and hopefully turn the season around. Uh, we're going to turn our attentions to Wickham Wanderers next as they voyage to the top of the championship. Across the Thames Valley.
3: One more. Time. Across
1: the Thames Valley this,
0: this is River Radio
1: Well, now for some pop music Try this
3: The Football Show on River Radio This is Extra Time
0: Welcome back. You're listening to Extra Time here on River Radio with Will Taylor and Ben Green. Remember, that if you do want to get in touch about anything we've spoke about at Reading, Maidenhead, Wickham, anything like that, even the national stories or the international stories for that, you can get in touch and tweet us at River Radio Live or send us an email to studio at river.radio. Now we are turning our attentions to Wickham Wanderers, though, who picked up another three points against Oxford United last night, courtesy of another goal from Brandon Hanlon and one from Thompson too. The Chairboys have enjoyed a great start to 2022 and beaten so far this year in their bid for an immediate return to the championship we spoke about it a bit in the, in the intro Ben is it happening
2: oh, do you know what after Saturday I got, I got met when I was stood there and Gareth was walking around the pitch and the fireworks were going off our house was playing I, I genuinely thought we're going up you know that's the first time <laughs> almost this, a tear in your eyes almost a that? tear but, yeah, yeah. It, it's the first time this season that I've, I've really felt a belief amongst the terrace. You know, the supporters that we can do it. There was a great atmosphere there. It almost had like, that special feel of this is a team going somewhere and mm. this is one of those games that you're going to look back on You know, at the end of the season and say, right, that's when it changed. I think the Sunderland game was huge. That was a massive change in mentality mm. to get something from that game, prove that we could hang with the, the best teams in the division because until that point we hadn't beaten or really got much out of any of the top sides. Mm. So we, go, we went into Oxford game and I said to you, I think we're going to beat Oxford. I really do. I think there's you said confidence. when you said when we beat Oxford when we beat Oxford. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. and I was right. You know, and you know, I, I genuinely wasn't surprised. I felt we turned up. We had way more confidence than the week before. We had the belief that we could do something, and I, I think that result is absolutely massive. I think
0: I think you might be right. I mean, it's it's one of those like psychologically going top of the league. I mean, it's it's a weird one, isn't it? Because it's it's such a horrible position to be as a football fan. For me for Torquay last year, top of the league at Christmas, ten points clear. It looked like we couldn't we couldn't mess it up, what and yet, went wrong. Exactly. Well, exactly. That's a story for a very different time. But you know what I mean. It's it's a horrible position to be in sometimes. It's very rare that you'll see a team top from the start who will just go on to win it. it that that very rarely happens in any division. Do you think it's an advantage or? Is it, I mean obviously it's an advantage you're top of the league but do you think that uh, Wickham always seem to to respond well to this underdog sort of pressure do you think that psychologically it might be a slight disadvantage for them that they are now the team to be?
2: Quite possibly, but I think if you look at the league table, it's a slightly false position because Wigan Athletic in hand have only and played yeah. 22 or 23 games. They've got four or five games in hand yeah. and it's Wigan's title to lose at this stage. So I think Wickham see themselves as we're in the pack. Mm. We're top of the league at the moment, but really come the end of the season or come you know, mm. the next five midweek games that Wigan play, we may not be there. So... Knowing Ainsworth and knowing that sort of mentality, that's that what steals, he'll be he's not going to be saying, "Right, we're, we're the best team in the league." He's going to be saying, "We're the second or third best team, and we want to get to the top after Wigan have played all those games."
0: You will, you would always rather have game, points in the board and the games in hand, though, exactly. wouldn't you? It's, it's, I mean, Wigan were almost lucky to be Morecambe last night. I think. I think they were. Yeah. I think it was one all for for a long time in that game. So you just never know how that's how, they, how that can play out. Do you?
2: Yeah, and you also look at the teams that Wigan have still got to play. A lot of them are in the top half. It's going to be a very rough few weeks for them mm. you can have a fixture pile up Tuesday games are not easy anyway under the lights mm. you have a, f- a couple of away games I know they've got to come to Adams Park as well that's going to be a, a feisty, uh, feisty game for sure I think it will be. but yeah like you said it's hard not to get excited because even though Wigan have those games in hand I, I do believe at the moment we are the second best team behind them you know Rotherham they, they drew down it or they they keep postponing their games. Mm. Sunderland do have that result in them that we saw against Lincoln. And I'm looking at Wiccan and and it's really hard for me to sit here and say <laughs> I can see us getting that that second spot.
0: I mean, it's, it's strange, isn't it? Because it's it's the pl- the whole PPG and things that you mentioned. It was so far from it looking like it was going to happen. In the sense that the, the blip you would had on, you know, you were top for a long time, and it, it, yeah. it sort of came tumbling down. That a lot of people, I know Peterborough for, for one, were, were very unhappy with it. I mean, you, don't get me wrong, you deserve. I, I believe you deserve to be. there. I think the vast majority of football fans who weren't affected by it believed you deserved to be mm-hmm. there. There was a few bitter, bit sort of league one in, league one fans in, in that sort, of, especially the ones in the playoffs. Is it one of those where it's a little bit like, especially we were just talking off air. It was, it was what six, seven years ago that you were, you came down to Torquay on the last day of the season, needing to win to stay up in League Two, and now you're top of League One. Is it a bit sort of pinch yourself?
2: Yeah, I mean, just just to add, it's great to see Peterborough doing really well in the championship. <laughs> Obviously, they clearly deserve their their status as a championship side, but they're actually on, on course to get lower points total than we did last year. as well, oh, really? which, That would fill me with joy. But no, yeah, like you said, it's it is one of them moments where, like we said in the break, Wickham could have been a non-league side. They could have they could have gone bust if mm. that had happened. Uh, and you still look at and I still look at Wickham as a a solid League One team. It's mm. really weird. Mm. It still doesn't feel real that we're considered as one of the, the top teams in League One and we should be aiming for promotion. I still felt at the start of the season that aiming for those playoffs was, would have been a great achievement. It's, mm. it's the same set of players not too far. Let's, let's not forget that were tipped for relegation three years ago. Yeah. So I think it's, they're, they're doing an incredible job and they've brought in some quality but I'd still like to see some more, and if maybe one or two come in, I'd, I'd be, you know, very confident. Let's just put it that way.
0: It's, it's funny about bringing in qualities, isn't it? Because obviously Gareth McLeary's been so important for you this season. He was rejected by Oxford in the summer, which I couldn't mm. believe when I read it this afternoon. The team he watched as a boy, that that it, you know, his team to an extent, they
2: thought he was too old. How much has he proved them wrong just on Saturday? Well. Don't you think that just sums up yeah. Wickham, though? That, that's such a Wickham story. <laughs> to, to sign a player that was told that he was too old for League One football and he's, he he picked up a championship title at the, t- at the time. So he's been brilliant. I don't know what Oxford were, were thinking about that. You can tell he's played at a higher level throughout the whole of his career. There's been some games I think he just is way too good for our team. <laughs> he generally is one of those players. And what he does well is because he's so good on the ball technically he'll often drag two or three players out to him and when he does that the midfielders, the strikers they get the space to do the damage it's often at times he can look like he's actually pretty quiet in a game when really the effect he's having on the wide areas is, is a lot more than it looks and then when he is having the effect in the game you've seen he's got five or six goals a season three or four assists his link-up play with Mometti Vokes, Handlin it's just tremendous so if he can stay fit for the remainder of the season, because we did see that when he was injured throughout October-November time, we did struggle. So if he can stay fit for the remainder of the season. I think we've got a great chance.
0: Well, we really hope so. And the best of luck to Wickham going forward this season. We really are getting behind our Thames Valley clubs at River Radio. That is all we're going to be talking about, though, for, for our local football section. As Next up, we're going to have a little bit, little bit of a look at Rafa Benitez and his dismissal from Everton. Across the Thames Valley. One
1: more time. Across the Thames Valley. This, this
0: is River Radio.
1: Well, now for some pop music. Try this.
3: The Football Show on River Radio. This is Extra Time.
0: Hello, that's right. You're listening to Extra Time here on River Radio. Me, Will Taylor and Ben Green. Uh, we're, so we're now moving on to our Hot topic section where we look at the biggest stories in the world of football across the week that's just happened. Naturally, there is only one story we can look at and that's the dismissal of Rafa Benitez at Everton. He somehow left Everton an even bigger Liverpool legend than he was beforehand, which is just incredible. We're going to get stuck into it in a minute. But earlier, last yesterday evening, I caught up with Lee from A View from the Bullens podcast and
1: he let us know exactly how he felt.
4: I think it's it's a shared responsibility type thing Uh,
1: My reaction Will uh, I've got to say pure relief Um, I think it's a a decision that's long overdue Uh, could have happened at any point in the last few weeks there have been a number of very very low points that Evertonians have had to endure I won't go into too much detail but heaviest derby defeat since 1981 or 2 so just touch in forty years. A five two home defeat to Watford. Um getting beat against Norwich, who hadn't won or scored in six games. Um home defeats to, to Brighton, you know, horrible away defeats to Palace, Brentford. You know, the list goes on and on and on. Um I think in initially I was in the camp of, you know, I wasn't for the decision. I thought it was it was ridiculous, but I was willing to give Benitez time I saw past the Liverpool connection I think that was a long time ago now um, and, if, and if he came in and won games and tactically was, was the man that he's always been made out to be and turn the club round and give us that little bit of stability I was willing to give him a chance but I wasn't in the minority I'd say um, but ultimately for me the reason I turned against him along with a lot of Evertonians Will, is because the results on the pitch just weren't good enough he did have his his reasons and excuses that he can probably fall back on in terms of injuries you know only having a budget of 1.7 million in the summer um you know the the financial fair play restrictions that Evan have got hovering over them at the minute uh and that was all fine up until, until a point but up you know more recently the last couple of months his stubbornness some of his team selections um and tactics have just been baffling and it's given some really poor sides the initiative uh, who have gone on to to d- deservedly um, take points off Everton and it, it's left us where we are in the league table, which it's shocking really. And whoever's coming in now has got to pick up the baton and try and rescue some from the, from this season. But the the first priority is staying up because we we're, we're, we're far from safe. <laughs>
0: But it certainly is interesting, isn't it? You say you're in the minority that are happy to give him a chance. I mean, I sort of always got the impression from, from the viewers of the fans that it might have perhaps just been a little bit almost like it was doomed from the start, if you know what I mean. It was just one of those things that no one particularly seemed to be absolutely thrilled with, about the appointment. And it's not like the managerial appointments of past have been inspiring. Do you think Do you think that, like in hindsight now, it was just an appointment that was, was just set to fail from day one?
1: Absolutely, will yeah. Um, I mean, I've said this on our podcast. Um, it's it, it was a nonsensical decision um, by a man, Farhad Mashiri, who, as good as he is in business, very very successful. He's, he's led us to a new stadium on the horizon. Fair play to him for that. But in a football sense, the man's got no idea. He's got no clue. He's not surrounded himself with proper football men who can advise him, uh, you know, correctly. And it was a it was a terrible decision it was always going to divide the fan base the fan base and it did divide them it wasn't 50-50 uh, i'm talking sort of 90 10 and i was in the 10 who didn't want him in um he was definitely not my preferred choice but at least i was possibly part of the 10% who was willing to give him a chance the other 90 really he was written off completely straight uh, you know straight away just weren't willing to look past those Liverpool connections the, the slide digs, the comments towards Everton while he was Liverpool manager it was just too much um, but I think a lot of the frustration didn't just emanate from that decision appointing Benitez, it was the culmination of so many bad decisions and ultimately where the club and the, and the squad had been left when Benitez was, was appointed but he was never going to get the time and the leeway that other managers would have got, he was only ever a couple of defeats away from complete you know, disdain um, and ill-feeling towards him. And that's exactly what happened. And Goodison Park and, and the away end um, full of Evertonians has, has become very, very toxic in the past couple of weeks. And in the end, after that defeat at Norwich, his, his position was completely untenable because we were spiralling towards who knows what. And we're not safe yet. we just got to hope that, you know, this, this decision is the start of a, a massive turnaround for Everton because it's, we need it quickly.
0: We just touched on it at the start there, which I find really interesting, is that the decision making doesn't seem to have been a particularly clear one, and that there's not been a clear sort of game plan in, in, in that sense. Does it lie deeper than appointing Rafa Benitez the problem? And and how much of the board takes responsibility for this? Because it can, it can't be easy as a fan, like you said, the slide digs and stuff that he'd made over the years as as Liverpool manager to have that man then come in and and lead your team. It it can't be an easy thing to say to see, but. Does the does the problem lie deeper than just appointing Rafa Benitez? Is there is there an infrastructural problem at Everton?
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, listen, that that was one singular bad decision, um, which you know we've we've now wasted six months as a result. But like you say, Will, the problems run a lot deeper at Everton Football Club. The boards are a joke. Um, you know, we've we've actually got the smallest um, board of directors in the whole of the Premier League. Um, Marcel Brands was the was the victim of this strategic overview, I think they've called it. Um, and it was ultimately, a, it was a choice between him and Rafa Benitez, which makes what's happened next just even more bizarre. We've then gone on and, and agreed to sell Luca Dean to a rival in Aston Villa, which again, two weeks before we've sacked Benitez, and that it was his decision. Um, it's just, no one knows what to do, and it seems like no one, talks to each other. The feeling amongst the fans is that the communication or lack of um, is, is contributes to a lot of the frustration and the ill feeling from the fans towards the board.
0: Frank Lampard and Wayne Bruny have both been mentioned as potential replacements as well. They they seem to be the two sort of big names in the hat at the minute. Would you be happy either of those or are there any other names that you've sort of that you've sort of heard that you think you think would be good appointments?
1: I'd be Personally, Now, I think those two tick a lot of boxes. I think they would be good uh, appointments for Everton. I think um, other names, not necessarily being mentioned at the minute, um, Gaultier, uh, the fellow who took the Lille job in France, he's doing an amazing job. I wanted him in the summer, um, and he, he's led them from sort of bottom of the league to second um, in France. But he's not. I don't think he's going to leave that position. Um, other candidates that have been banded around. Don't do anything for me, really. I think the the two names, Rooney and Lampard, are the only ones that I'd really be comfortable with. I think we need someone who's young, hungry, wanting to prove themselves in that position. Um, don't take any messing. Um, you know, will will command respect in the dressing room. I think they'd both have sufficient pull in the transfer market as well, given the the names that they are. I think you'd, you'd have plenty of players who'd, who'd want to come and play for them. Um, and I think if you look at the job Wayne Rooney's done at Derby, it's absolutely remarkable. Just under the the most testing and trying of circumstances, um, it's, he, he's done unbelievably well. I'm probably surprised a few people. And I've looked at a couple of his interviews of late as well, and I think he's improved with that respect as well. I think he comes across well. He's quite articulate, um, and I can just imagine him in the in the changing room, being a leader of men. And that's what we need. We need someone to. Rally this troop of of Everton players who look so mentally fragile and mentally mentally weak at the minute. We go a goal down, will and you, you can you can see in front of your eyes, you can see the the confidence seep out of so many of these players, and and you know the game's lost. You know and there's very little chance we're going to get back into it. And I think the same with Frank Lampard as well. Yes, he had a a difficult time at Chelsea with with a great group of players to work. Uh, with, but I think initially the signs were good. There he did a, a good job at Derby, and I think he'd be really, really keen to probably prove that the Chelsea job, um, you know, was a blip, and he's learned from it. And he, he's a great football man, very knowledgeable. I think people who have worked with him, played with him, have all said, you know, he, he's definitely going to go on to become a, a great manager. So again, a, a big profile and one, I think that ticks a lot of boxes. I think if you were to ask Evertonians, the initial sentiment. And the feeling that I'm getting from, from Twitter and everywhere else is that Rooney probably edges it, probably because of his Everton connections and, and he understands the demands of the fan base and stuff. But I think either of those two would be a, a solid appointment for me.
0: Well, we certainly do wish Everton the best from everyone here with us at River Radio. Uh, and thank you so much for joining me, Lee. It's been an absolute
1: pleasure. No, Will, thanks for having me on. Really enjoyed that. Thank you. There's Lee from A View
0: from the Bullins podcast talking through his ideal candidates and, and what he thought of, uh, of Rafa Benitez's reign. I mean, it's hard, isn't it? I mean, it's, it's, hard, it's a hard one for Everton, especially when you look at, you, you see highlights from the Liverpool game and at half-time they're singing Rafa, Rafael Benitez um, in, in joy of how much um, of a poor job he was doing there. A terrible loss to Norwich and stuff as well. I, I asked it, to, I asked
2: it to, to Lee and he agreed as well. It was, it was doomed from the start, that, wasn't it? Oh yeah, 100%. It it never made any sense. And to be honest, it it sums up the decision making at Everton over the last five years. It it was a decision from a group of people that that don't understand the game. And and that's what's happened at that club. They've spent a ridiculous amount of money, isn't it? 500 million pounds, something
0: stupid like that. I mean, it spent 50 on Guilfi Sigurdsson, yeah. for example. Well, didn't yeah,
2: it? yeah, yeah. So we'll see how that went. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Allegedly, yeah. I should say.
2: But that, you know, Awobi springs to mind that was, that was a terrible bit of business. Arsenal yeah. couldn't believe their luck with that. Yeah, um, but no, it, it never made any sense. And, and you felt like you, like you said, as soon as sight went wrong, the small, you know, they could have lost two or three in a bounce. That was it, that the fans were going to be on his back, and that's what happened. You know, Everton. Have been struggling, yes, but if it was another manager in the hot seat, I don't think he would have been given the boot just yet.
0: A lot, a lot was put on the put on the the lack of um, availability in the transfer window and all that sort of stuff. And I, I think for a while that was a justified argument. In fairness, and I, what I don't think ever helped was that it was a state they, they were led into a very false position at the start of the season, weren't they? They had a few good results that. I don't know how they managed them, and it ended up being against some what what are poor sides now, or or certainly were at that stage of the season. That obviously led to it going a little bit longer. The thing I can't understand with it, and, I, and I'm sure you'll probably agree with this, is there, there was they they allowed him to make a lot of decision making mm. at the club. For example, Luca Dean to Aston Villa for 25 million a week ago. Now he's been sacked in Everton and have lost, for me, their best player, other than maybe yeah. Richarlison. If, why, why would they allow him to do something like that if, if they didn't intend on seeing the project out? And, and surely, you know, they had to take into consideration how they, they didn't even t- t- take into consideration when Benitez was appointed, how the fans
2: would feel. Yeah, but well, well, didn't they also sack their director of football? Yeah. And, and he was given a new contract yeah. six months ago. <laughs> yeah. Again, you know, it just reeks of a club that unfortunately doesn't have people in place that really understand the game or know what they're doing. And we, we spoke about Newcastle and the world we have with them of is it going to be the same thing? You know, Rafa Benitez was never a long-term appointment. Carlo Ancelotti was never a long-term appointment. Ronald Koeman was never a long-term appointment. When are they going to bring someone in And it's interesting because I'm seeing Duncan Ferguson on the page. (laughs) When are they going to bring someone in to do a long-term project? Can Duncan Ferguson be that man? I'm not not so sure. But
0: I I mean, I was going to say that, but I I don't. I I actually don't see why not because every time he's had a stab at the job, he's at least steadied the ship for the next manager that's come in. All right, he's not set the world alight, and he's not done, for example, what Solskjaer did when he was at United because he uh, you had to give him that job at the time. You had to give Solskjaer that job, and he he all right, he's never done that well, but he's always steadied the ship, and that's certainly something he's going to do. And for me with the new stadium on the horizon and just ensure they're a Premier League team being the absolute priority give it to Ferguson until the end of the season give him a little bit that, sound, that was so Andy Tate wasn't it <laughs> that is what came to mind that was so Andy Tate give it give it Duncan Ferguson until the end of the year let's say because I don't want to sound too much like that again um I can't believe I just said that, but regardless, if they if they give it to him and they let him have it exactly you know and and employ his tactics, you know he's going to be all right at signing players. He's a tough manager who who gets who knows the players. He knows what's going on inside out. Let him have it. Let him sort of just solidify and then go again. Because who are they realistically going to get in the middle of a season? Who's who's going? To, I know the Rooney and Lampard have been touted. Is it the right time to go for an experienced <coughs> manager?
2: Well, I, I think giving it to Duncan would give them time, and that's the important thing. Like, He'd done a good job last time. There was calls last time when he he stepped in for him to take the the role full-time. He'd still probably have to prove himself again. You know, if he comes in, they lose, you know, their first four. People could be saying, you know, we shouldn't have done this. Or they get to the end of the season and he he struggled. People might be saying, "Okay, time for Duncan to move on. But if he, let's say, for example, he takes Everton up to mid-table and they have a really solid end to the season... Why shouldn't they go with Duncan Ferguson? You know, nothing else has worked. <laughs> <laughs> they've tried all these... He's
0: about the only thing that has. Of them. Exactly. I mean, Ancelotti
2: did okay, but otherwise he's a brilliant manager. Obviously, <laughs> Ancelotti did okay for half a season, mm. and he had some very good players in that period. Um, and was, was on top form until he got yeah. injured. So, I think at this stage, Everton they, they've made so many wrong decisions in the past five five years or so. They're at the point now where they can't really do much more wrong and so they might as well take a punt on Duncan Ferguson I'm not really sure where else they can go and like you said halfway through the season the window is you know by the time a manager comes in they aren't going to have the transfer window so is anyone really going to want to come to the club with no money to spend you can't improve you just lost like you said arguably your best player I think it's the logical step but this is Everton, so yeah, yeah. logical in Everton at the moment doesn't really go hand in hand.
0: In fairness, though, Wayne Rooney, if, if you want a man to handle a club in turmoil, he might be a guy. Maybe that's Rooney's speciality.
2: <laughs> yeah.
0: A turmoil. new age Big Sam, I think,
4: maybe.
0: <laughs> <laughs> a new age Big Sam. No, I mean, but, but why not for Wayne Rooney? Maybe even Frank Lampard. I don't necessarily think would be... I mean, I know you said the jury's very much out on Lampard, um, mm. but... I don't think it'd be an awful appointment for them based on what they've just had. I mean, by comparison, pretty much anything's better, is I,
2: I guess with Lampard, there's a lot of risk for him because with the Norwich job, there was, no, well, there was no risk, was there? If, if they got relegated, they were, they're expected to anyway. Was, it was getting him back up that was the risk that he might not have been able to afford, wasn't it? But. Quite possibly, but if he was to get Everton relegated, let's just say, that, that's him, that, that's him yeah. toast. That, yeah. He's toast as a manager, yeah. so I, I can't see him taking that role. Maybe in the summer. Maybe if, if they stay up, but I think it's too early for him at the moment.
0: Yeah, and I, but the, the only the only real possibility, I think, I think is Wayne Rooney, as I said, in pure Andy Tate style. Andy Taint style. <laughs> give, give it, Ferguson, <laughs> until the end of the season. <laughs> give it, Ferguson, until the end of the season. Uh, we are going to move on to River Radio's uh, biggest and I'd say most popular feature next. Well, a slightly awkward wording, pay. I suppose. Uh, it is up for debate. It's River Radio's in popular opinion across the Thames Valley. One
1: more time across the Thames Valley. This this
0: is River. Radio.
1: Well, now for some pop music. Try this.
3: The football show on River Radio. This is Extra Time.
0: You're listening to Extra Time here on River Radio. Get your phones out, open out Twitter and get ready to tweet your fury. That's right, it's Unpopular Opinion here on Extra Time. This week we've gone a little bit different. Normally it's it would be me v be Ben or Ben v be me. We opened it up this week to some of our listeners via Twitter and, and we've heard from a couple of them. And I, I, I've picked out what I think is a very controversial opinion. I don't know whether you'll agree or not. I'm hoping we don't agree because that would make for a very, very short Unpopular Opinion <laughs> section, wouldn't it? And I suppose it wouldn't be that unpopular. Popular then, it, um, we've had a we've had a message in from a guy called Max who lives in the uh, who lives in the US of A across the pond, so to speak. He knows this football very well, um, and he said hi. You know, he, said, he sent us a lovely email saying, "Hi guys, I really like the section. I've got an unpopular opinion for you." As soon as I saw it, I thought we've got to have a bit of that. Uh, he so this this is what Max said. I can't stress this enough. I'll start, I'll preface this by saying this is what Max said yeah. as well. Okay, so in in his opinion, Neymar. Is the most overrated footballer on the planet? What has he achieved for a man who was meant to win everything? Wow, Ben. I mean, I'll, well, I'll let you I mean, go on that, mate. What do you think? Very, very strong stuff from Max very, I have to yeah, say. I mean,
2: is, I'll be honest though. If we're talking about Neymar being overrated and, and not as good as people make him out to be, I, I completely agree. Wow, really? Yeah, I do. I do. Okay, I get the right. sense you're going to disagree with me. I at, think I am though. Yeah, I, mean, uh, but, uh, I think
0: we finally got we've got a popular well, opinion to agree on, Will, okay, to so disagree
2: on. To, to start this then, so if you look at other world-class players or what we describe as world-class players and the effect they have on the team, yep. I think there's, that's the problem with Neymar at the moment. Okay. Well, since he's been at Paris Saint-Germain, for me, he doesn't control games. He doesn't have that massive effect on the team, drives them forward. Like the you know, Cristiano Ronaldo. I know you're going to say, but he's you know, we can't compare him to Cristiano Ronaldo. I'm not talking about that. You could, could talk about Mohamed Salah, sometimes he'll drag Liverpool out of the dirt. Yeah. Um, Lukaku, when he's on top form, he's a massive difference. Kevin de Bruyne, you know, we, we saw against Chelsea the goal he scored. I think the problem with Neymar is he's a great talent, is he a great team player? And when you're in a team sport, sometimes that can ultimately determine how how good of a player you, you ultimately become.
0: Yeah, see, this is my... This, see, I do have problems with it, with this argument about Neymar. Is it, I, I feel he, he came wrong. At, well, he came through the ranks at what is, can only be described as an awful time for any young, incredibly talented footballer such as himself to come around. Is Messi and Ronaldo were, were sort of, I wouldn't say past their peak, but coming towards the end of their peak sort of heroic time. Certainly when when he was at the Barcelona And Messi was, was sort of, you could tell this was his last hurrah in terms of really having success at the highest, highest level, because everyone could see Barcelona on their way down. And, 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 and they're similar with Cristiano Ronaldo, especially when he, when he went to events and stuff. He was meant to be the next Messi. And the next Ronaldo. I think what we've realised as a sort of football society, if you will, over the last six or seven years, is that there's, there's no next Ronaldo or no. Messi. And I, I, look, I know what you're saying, obviously, that, and, and, and maybe we, we should have realised that earlier, but regardless of, of what you say, you spoke about your Salah and, and yeah, Eden Hazard, who's fallen off a little bit, for example. And, and these players who, who can, you know, sort of dig their heels in and change a game, they weren't the next big thing. Mm. For, for Messi and Ronaldo they've been getting the praise The Bruyne and Lukaku for example they've been getting the praise retrospectively when we've now realised that no one's at that level you know Messi a 33, 34 30, year old shouldn't be winning the Ballon d'Or but yeah. no one come close to Messi last year Really, do, do, no you, one.
2: do you think it, that he's one of those players that needs to be the star player in the team, the focal point and maybe because he isn't that at the moment He's not necessarily uh, going. Yeah,
0: I, I, I can understand where you're coming from in that. But at the same time, I, I, th- I think mate, he gets a bit of a hard ride on what he's actually achieved as well. Mm. Yes, he's not won what he should have won. I think we can all be in agreement with that. And I think that's actually more to do with the mismanagement of ridiculous funds at PSG like we've spoken about mm. in, previously in, in terms of they've never really had a manager to, to ram home a, a really successful season. But I mean, you look at what he's won. I mean, if you're talking about the most iconic front threes of all time, he's a key part of it. He was at such a key part of it that Lionel Messi and Luis Suarez brought him on leaps and bounds as part of that MSN that won the Champions League so convincingly as well. Didn't just win it, they won that in yeah. style. I mean, he's won a Champions League, two La Ligas, three Spanish Cups, three French Leagues, three French Cups, a FIFA Club World Cup and a Copa Libertadores as well. That's, that's, that's some CV for a player who's overrated, is all I will say, especially when you look at the Club World Cup and the Libertadores' competitions that he, he dragged his team through. And I, I think he has done that on occasion for PSG. I don't think it's Neymar's fault that PSG have underachieved and I think that's where the problem lies mm. Lionel Messi was is undoubtedly for me the best player that's ever lived but he was very fortunately at 19 years old put into for me the best team that's ever played football yeah. with the two best midfielders that have ever played football and one of the best captains and you know what you could, the list could go on with Barcelona mm. couldn't it quite easily and he was quite lucky to be brought to, to replace Ronaldinho that's the player he come off for on his debut mm. he was playing with Thierry Henry David Villa who was in, incredible Pedro who was Brilliant at the time, whereas Neymar has, has you know, I mean, if, if you look at the players he worked with, Cavani, you can't even get into United's team. Really, was was his was his talisman for a while. Zlatan Ibrahimovic, who I know there's a lot said about him. I, I think it's a bit of a a bit of a difficult one. Ibrahimovic, mm. but he, he, he I, th- I think that held Neymar back a bit playing with Zlatan. To be completely
2: honest, do you think though he hasn't kicked on to the extent yeah. that he should have? And yeah. if you compare him to other players of his age and of the similar yep. talent I forget so, how
0: old he is sometimes and yeah, I think, like, he's, he's been around for years
2: Yeah, I, I don't think he's necessarily kicked on the way he should have No. and like I said a minute ago I think the reason for that is he seems to be the player if he was the focal point of a team mm. the, the one star player I think you would see a better Neymar Yeah. almost like how like, like Brazil in the 2014 World Cup his best, probably yeah, his best performance he exactly. was the focal
0: point and they probably had he not got injured I'd probably Stick my neck out, and I think they probably would have gone on to win that. Very
2: valid, valid argument, yeah. I mean, you could say that, but you look at almost Coutinho when he's come back. He's come to Villa. Yeah. I can see him <laughs> shining there because he again he's another player yeah. that if he's the main man in the team, he's going to do well. I think every time I've watched PSG in the Champions League up against an English side, Mbappe, and you know. The other players in that team, uh, they, they, they've, they've been the ones that are impressive, especially Mbappé. He's always been the one, compared to Neymar, that I've been most impressive. And but that's see, the problem. See, this,
0: this is the thing with the Mbappé argument, though, is I, mm. think that, I think he's accentuated by that. I think mm. he's pushed on by the fact that oh well that Neymar's not very good because look there's this nineteen year old kid out shiny. when Neymar was just as good as Mbappe is mm. at that age but things just didn't quite work out for him and uh, look I do, I do I think there's an, a slight attitude problem there this is obviously yeah. all pie in the sky I don't know him personally unfortunately if I did I'd probably be a lot wealthier than I am now but <laughs> but um, but you know I I just think he's I think he's a slightly misunderstood player. The attitude doesn't seem all there in fairness, but you're not, you haven't won what he's won and done what he's done and, and been part of as, as many successful teams as he has without being that top draw, top, top calibre player. For me, he's the third best player in the world. He still is. Um, well, maybe not in current form, actually, but in terms, of, in terms of actual ability over a consistent period of time, he's the third best player in the world. behind Don't get me wrong, he's, he's miles behind the top two. In terms of Ronaldo and Messi. He's miles I mean, he, at the moment, he's miles behind Salah as well. No, but I, that's what i like Like, on form, it's a different argument, no. but historically, is what I'm saying. I, and I just think he's. He's. He's fell victim to, to a, a terrible situation at PSG where they've been mismanaged and not achieved what they should have done. He's fell victim to, to some bad injuries at wrong times in his career. If he. Put it, put it like this you just said it's a valid argument that Brazil might go on to win the World Cup. If they do, he doesn't get injured with that fact the vertebrae snap I think it was at a home World Cup are we even having this conversation now
2: yeah obviously it does change do you know yeah, what I mean the same with, with Lana Messi of course, he had yeah. won the World Cup with Argentina Oh, no
0: one would even say anything would exactly. they Yeah, and I, I, th- I think that's the, that's the sort of breakdown of the argument that I have that he he fell short at times which weren't necessarily his fault and he's been He's been, exempt, he's been sort of victim to more external factors than the likes of Messi and Ronaldo have. it. All, if you look at the, the, how Messi and Ronaldo's careers went, everything fell nicely for them. Mm. Ronaldo went into a Real Madrid team that was on the up and led them to three Champions Leagues. Messi, like I said, was, was was born into this incredible team at Barcelona. I don't think Neymar was ever afforded that privilege and that's why I don't
2: think he's necessarily overrated as maybe perhaps misunderstood. So maybe the beauty of this is that if he was to move to another team we maybe actually might be able to get an answer yeah we might be able to settle you know, <laughs> I, I'd like to see him go to another team Gary Gen- Johnson get on the yeah. phone man. <laughs> Maybe more Lee Johnson yeah. rather John. But no, I, I genuinely think if he went to another team and became the focal point, we could have this conversation at another time and actually Definitely. come to an answer. And,
0: and look, we, we obviously—I mean, it'd be, it'd be great to see. It's always great to see a great player succeed, and it's always hard to see a great show come to an end, as it is here on River Radio. Unfortunately, um, Ben, thank
2: you so much for joining me. I've had an absolutely superb time tonight, and it's—it's uh, it's been a great laugh, hasn't it? that has been a pleasure obviously gutted that one of the main men isn't here but look Ed I've taken your seat now so look forward to seeing you in the third
0: chair next week (laughs) thank you so much for joining me
3: this has of course been extra time on River Radio if you do want to catch the show after it'll be straight on Spotify